For Tuesday, November 9th, it's the early word from the WNYC Newsroom. Hi there, I'm Isaac Davy Aronson with a look at this morning's top news, the day ahead, and reporting highlights from the WNYC News team. Coming up, Alex Goldmark tells us why we're in the most dangerous time of year for New York pedestrians. And the Buena Vista Social Club finally fulfills its original purpose. We start with this morning's top headlines just ahead. The Early Word is a production of WNYC Radio. You can support this podcast by making a donation at WNYC.org, where you can also get the latest updates on this morning's headlines on the news page. Connecticut will have a new governor after nearly a week in electoral limbo. From public radio station WSHU in Connecticut, Craig LaMolt has the details. Democrat Dan Malloy is poised to take office following the concession by Republican Tom Foley. After praising Foley, Malloy said he's ready to start work creating jobs and getting the state's fiscal house in order. We are going to change uh, how we do business um, uh, in the state of Connecticut. There will be no more games when it comes to budgeting. Malloy pledged there will be a more transparent process in place as he tries to tackle Connecticut's projected $3 billion budget deficit. He promises to do it without reducing the state's social safety net. Malloy said he spoke with outgoing Governor Jody Rell, who promised to send him the budget next week. For WNYC, I'm Craig LaMolt. Meanwhile, the campaign of Long Island Congressman Tim Bishop, a Democrat, is calling for a manual recount of ballots in the 1st District after election officials admitted over the weekend to a mistake in the vote count. The Suffolk County Board of Elections said incorrect reporting from some polling places threw the unofficial tally off by almost 4,000 votes. That erased Congressman Bishop's lead, and the four-term incumbent now trails his Republican challenger, Randy Altshuler, by about 400 votes. About 10,000 absentee ballots have yet to be counted. That process should start later this week. The Department of Homeland Security has announced new rules banning all cargo from Yemen and Somalia. The department is also prohibiting printer, toner, and ink cartridges weighing more than a pound on all passenger flights. New precautions follow the discovery of a failed mail bomb plot last month. Counterterror officials found bombs hidden inside printer cartridges on planes en route from Yemen to the U.S. There are renewed calls for improved oversight of the Indian Point nuclear power station following an explosion of a transformer at the plant over the weekend. The environmental group Riverkeeper is calling for independent investigators to look into the cause of Sunday's fire, which resulted in the shutdown of one reactor at the complex north of the city. Westchester Assemblyman Richard Brodsky, a longtime critic, says Indian Point doesn't get the oversight it needs from federal regulators. No one is minding the store. These incidents happen repeatedly. In 2007, there was another transformer fire at the plant's other reactor. The Federal Nuclear Regulatory Commission says the public was never in danger from the weekend explosion, and the alert and shutdown of the reactor was done properly. An NRC spokesman says he expects his agency will conduct an investigation of the fire. The financial fate of the Long Island Bus Company looks uncertain. That's after a meeting between MTA head Jay Walder and Nassau County Executive Ed Mangano concerning the bus line that carries about 100,000 people each day. The MTA has said it's no longer willing to fund a $26 million annual subsidy for the bus line. Mangano's office told WNYC that Mangano made a good-faith offer in an effort to avoid the MTA's threatened shutdown of the bus line. He said while they wait for a response, they'll continue to explore privatization of bus service should it be necessary. Nassau County is legally responsible for the bus service, and the MTA wants the county to pick up the tab. An MTA spokesman tells WNYC, quote, While we've agreed not to discuss the details of today's discussion publicly, it's clear that the county has no intention of meeting its obligation to fund its bus system next year or in the foreseeable future. 
No additional meetings between the two parties are scheduled. By early next year, the city will be posting online statistics on the number and type of hate and domestic violence crimes. Councilwoman Melissa Mark Viverito says the localized data will empower neighborhoods to take action. We want to see these statistics as unfortunate as they are. You want to have them in your face. Mark Viverito co-sponsored the bill requiring the data be released. The mayor signed it into law yesterday. The statistics on domestic violence and hate crimes will be posted on the My Neighborhood Statistics website, launched by the city in 2002. The information is searchable by police precinct and school district. Amtrak and NJ Transit have begun discussing the possibility of partnering to build a second train tunnel under the Hudson River. Just weeks after New Jersey Governor Christie killed just such a project, officials at both agencies described the talks as merely exploratory. An Amtrak spokesman says among the things being looked at is whether the work already done for the scrapped tunnel project could be salvaged for Amtrak's needs. Amtrak and NJ Transit currently share a century-old two-track tunnel under the river that's been in capacity for years. Finally, now that daylight saving time is over, your commute home is just a little bit darker. That's part of why this time of year is the worst for pedestrian accidents in New York City. WNYC's Alice Goldmark has more. Nationally, more people get hit by cars at night, but New York is a special case. Here, you're more likely to be struck between 3 and 9 p.m., and the next two months generally see a 20% jump in the number of cars hitting pedestrians. Some possible reasons are the shrinking daylight, More people are out on the street later doing things like shopping, and the first days of frosty, slick streets taking their toll. On the upside, it's still pretty safe to cross the street in New York. There are about 250 pedestrian crash fatalities a year, way safer per capita than most cities. For WNYC, I'm Alex Goldmark. Taking a look at today's calendar, continuing their Asian travels, President Obama and the First Lady are in Jakarta, Indonesia. Meanwhile, in Washington, it's the first meeting of the GOP's transition team, tasked with planning a smooth shift to a Republican majority in the House. The Presidential Commission investigating the Gulf oil spill holds another hearing on its preliminary findings. Yesterday, it said it had found no evidence that anyone at BP made a decision to put cost savings ahead of safety. Economic reports today include the latest government survey of job openings and turnover, September figures on wholesale trade, and supply-demand estimates for crops and livestock. It's the 21st anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, which has been commemorated in the U.S. since 2001 as World Freedom Day. We've seen so much of our last president on TV over the last several days, you probably thought his memoir was already out. But George W. Bush's Decision Points hits bookstores today. And finally, in Manhattan, reality television star Khloe Kardashian will help judge TV channel Wedding Central's If the shoe fits, ultimate wedding showdown, where over 30 brides in wedding dresses rummage through shoeboxes for the winning stiletto. (sighs) You know, this is why I'm in radio. The American Ballet Theater is back from its first trip to Cuba in a half century. Twenty-five dancers graced the stage of the Karl Marx Theater in Havana to honor Cuba's prima ballerina, Alicia Alonso. Alonso, who turns 90 this year, danced for the American Ballet Theater in the 1940s. 21-year-old ballerina Katie Williams appreciated the Cubans' warm reception. 
they don't judge or give any stigma against us despite any sort of political issues that we're having between the two countries. The trip coincided with the 22nd International Ballet Festival of Havana. Dancers from the New York City Ballet performed at the festival earlier this month. And finally, for the first time in a year, the stars in the Grand Central Terminal ceiling are shining. MTA Chairman Jay Walder threw the switch as rush hour commuters and tourists looked on. Wow, wonderful. They look like stars in the sky. And we can look up and make a wish. That was New Yorker Hatmane Gisavik. The new energy-efficient LED lights replaced fiber optic ones that were installed in 1997. The original incandescent bulbs were equally groundbreaking in 1913, but they were difficult to replace. The new bulbs will save $8,000 a year in electricity bills and should last 50,000 hours. The stars shine according to their brightness in the night sky and are set in gold-leaf constellations that span the ceiling of the station's main concourse. Not everyone knows this story, but the Buena Vista Social Club was an accident. Producer Nick Gold wanted to get top Malian and Cuban musicians into a recording studio, but visa problems supposedly killed the project. Instead, Gold recorded a handful of older musicians hanging around Havana. They became the Buena Vista Social Club and went on to sell 8 million records. Now, 14 years later, Gold has released Afro-Cubism, a collaboration between some of Mali's greatest musicians, including Cora player Tumani Diabate and members of the Buena Vista Social Club. The supergroup plays New York Tonight at Town Hall. To download this track for free, stop by our culture site. Just click culture at wnyc.org. And you can learn more about all the stories you heard here, download more podcasts, and go in-depth with our reporters on the news blog. It's all at our website, wnyc.org. You can hear us there 24 hours a day, as well as on the air at 93.9 FM and AM 820. From the WNYC Newsroom, I'm Isaac Davy Aronson. Have a great day.